to our church. Thanks for the blessing it is to know Jesus and help us in this year as we seek to walk humbly with you to learn more about what humility means, even today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Australian fashion industry, how big do you think that is? Would you believe $28.5 billion dollars? $28,000 million we spend on fashion. What about the cosmetics industry in Australia? Well, the cosmetics, that's not as big. That's only $4 billion a year in Australia. What about plastic surgeries? Cosmetic plastic surgery. That's just when you get yourself looking better through surgery. One Over $1 billion in Australia. So one quarter of the money we spend on cosmetics, we also spend on surgery more than the United States proportionally. You think we care about how we look and being beautiful? Let me get you to imagine you're walking into David Jones or to Maya. What is the first thing you see? Cosmetics. What's on the other side of the cosmetics? Clothes and fashion. Where is the luggage? Where is the kitchen gear and the white goods? They're right at the very end, at the edges, aren't they? We really care about how we look. Think of your morning, think of your every morning. How long did you spend in the bathroom? How long did you spend in front of the mirror? How long do you spend on your hair and your teeth? And making sure that when you go out to face the world that you look good. We really care about what we look like. We really care about our appearance. We want to be beautiful. Our behaviour shows that. Why do we want to look beautiful? And why do you, so many of you perhaps grieve your lack of beauty against some other standard? Well, with beauty, I guess, comes, we think, acceptance... Or with beauty comes desire from others, a measure of power, really it's superiority, because I'm better than you. But what is beauty? And how do you know if you are beautiful or beautiful enough to get by? Well, in May 1819, Almost 200 years ago, the English, young English poet John Keats, 23 years old, sat down and he wrote a poem which he titled An Ode to, a, to the Grecian Ode to a Grecian Urn. Ode to a Greek, old Greek vase. And in that poem, it's a great little poem, he looks at the vase and he just sees this scene on the vase, a moment captured in time some sort of romance, some sort of passion and then some sort of sacrifice with villagers. And he's saying these moments, where did they come from? And and they've just been captured and they've stayed frozen through the eons. This image of beauty which still speaks its beauty today and yet still speaks with mystery as we try and look at those images and wonder what was going on and who are these people? He finishes his poem like this. Thou, silent form, dost tease us out of thought. 
as doth eternity. I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, I think of eternity and I think, cold pastoral, you cold frozen image. When old age shall this generation waste, thou shall remain in the midst of other woe than ours. So you're going to be round in centuries beyond, now like 2018, still speaking to other people's woes. A friend to man to whom thou sayest, beauty is truth. Truth, beauty. That is all ye know on earth and all ye need to know. Beauty is truth, says Keats. Truth, beauty, that's all you need to know. I look at this vase and the truth in those images, the truth in that beauty is somehow wrapped around itself as if the beautiful is also true. And the converse of that would imply that that which is false, that which is corrupted, that which is perverted, well, it may have a weird attraction, the perverted, but actually it's ugly at heart. I think Keats makes an interesting observation. Truth is beauty. Beauty is truth. Truth, beauty. The true is beautiful. But I think there's actually more in the way we process this word beauty. So I'm going to suggest to you this morning that there are actually two types of beauty. And the first type of beauty is what I would like to call bus beauty. You know what bus beauty is? You're sitting on the bus. Someone gets in on the bus and you're like, whoa. That's beautiful. Usually for me it's a she. She's beautiful. She's, she's, in, she's, she's perfect. This perfection of image walks in on the bus. It's been a long time since I've walked on the bus and everyone's stopped and looked. <laughs> a very, very, very long time. Bus beauty is attractive. I wonder where she's going to sit. I don't really think that. Bus beauty is very rare. Most people who walk on the bus don't catch my attention. I'm sorry, most of you don't have a lot of bus beauty. Bus beauty is external and it's momentary. Oh. Bus beauty is non-relational. Bus beauty is subjective. You know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I go, whoa, you go, huh? Bus beauty is fading. I'm sorry, but very few of us 50-year-olds get on the bus and people turn their heads. Bus beauty fades. The second sort of beauty I'd like to talk about is what I'd like to call backyard beauty. Backyard beauty is the beauty of those people who come and sit in my backyard. And I get so excited. Yeah, so-and-so's coming round. I'm so happy because they're coming round, because they're such a beautiful person. I'm looking forward to them coming to my house. They've got a lot of backyard beauty. Backyard beauty is also very attractive. I want to be with such people. 
But backyard beauty flows from the inside. It's not external, it flows from the inside out. Backyard beauty is lasting. Backyard beauty is relational. You know that person. And backyard beauty is powerfully real. And rather than fading with the years, backyard beauty actually can grow. There are 90-year-olds in our church who I find incredibly beautiful. And backyard beauty can, is the one, I think, the beauty that truly counts. It's the truth beauty. And backyard beauty can be yours. Indeed, backyard beauty is yours by birth because you were made in the image of God. Beautiful. And God wants you to be beautiful. God desires your beauty. Do you know you can also be backyard ugly? Oh, so and so is coming around. I guess I'll put up with them. You know, the funny thing about this backyard and bus beauty, bus beauty is a vapour. It doesn't last. You meet someone who's incredibly beautiful, but when you get to know them, you don't process them as that image of perfection anymore. They're just who they are. And in fact, perhaps if you get to know them, they're not such a nice person. And the funny thing about backyard beauty is backyard beauty becomes bus beauty. It's just an ordinary Joe or Mary, but you get to love this person and you get to and suddenly you look at them and they're just the most they're stunningly beautiful. Because you see them, you know them, and there's in that external there is actually a genuine, true bus beauty. So where do you get this backyard beauty? Because I think it's the real beauty. Can you go into DJs and buy it? If, if, if we spend $28 billion on clothing, another four on cosmetics, surely backyard beauty business should be worth at least $50 because that's the lasting beauty attraction. And I guess you'd have to say, well, what are the characteristic features of backyard beauty? I guess if you say bus beauty is kind of about symmetry and, and ideal to a standard, what is it about backyard beauty that, that are the characteristic features? Or what are the features that make someone backyard ugly? And does this have anything at all, like Keats would suggest, to do with truth? Well, let's go to the prophet Ezekiel, which we had read for us. In Ezekiel's prophecy, chapters 25 to 32, Ezekiel the prophet speaks to the nations around Israel. In chapters 26 to 28, he speaks to the nation, actually it's the city-state of Tyre. Tyre was a Phoenician fortified port city, an island mostly with a little bit on the mainland in what is today southern Lebanon. It was a main port. It was a trade centre. It's smaller, as you can see from that mocked-up image. But you can think Singapore. You can think Hong Kong, a trade centre island. 
where all the ships from the Mediterranean would come and dock and the goods would come in and go out. And where there is trade, there is wealth. And where there is wealth, there is the active, passionate pursuit of beauty. And Tyre was beautiful. In chapter 27, The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, Son of man, take up a lament concerning Tyre. Say to Tyre, situated at the gateway to the sea, merchant of the people on many coasts, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, you say, Tyre, I am perfect in beauty. Your domain was on the high seas, your builders brought your beauty to perfection. They made all of your timbers of juniper from Senir. They took cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you. It's described as a ship. Fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail and served as your banner. Your awnings were of blue and purple from the coast of Elisha. And it goes on and on. They hung shields around your walls. They brought your beauty to perfection. Beautiful tire. Oh, what a beautiful city. So beautiful was Tyre that people came from all around. So attracted were they to Tyre. They came from all around. Tarshish did business with you because of your great wealth of goods. They exchanged silver, iron, tin and lead for your merchandise. Greek, Tubal, Meshach did business with you. Men of Beth Togma exchanged chariot horses and cavalry horses. The men of Rhodes traded with you. Aram did business with you. Judah and Israel traded with you. They exchanged wheat from Minah and confections and honey and olive oil and balm for your wares and on and on it goes. All these people so attracted to the beautiful city of Tyre. Tyre had a lot of bust beauty. Beautiful kingdom had a beautiful king. Uh, the king of Tyre didn't walk into DJs and pick what he wanted. He owned DJs. Such majesty had he. He was adorned with many beautiful things and what a man he was, what a mighty, mighty man. What is God's assessment of the king of Tyre? Chapter 28. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says, in the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas. But you are a mere mortal and not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. In verse 6, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Because you think you are wise, as wise as a God, I am going to bring foreigners against you, the most ruthless of nations, they will draw their swords against your beauty and your wisdom and pierce your shining splendour. They will bring you down to the pit and you will die a violent death in the heart of the seas. Will you then say, I am a God in the presence of those who kill you? You will be but a mortal, not a God, in the hands of those who slay you. You will die the death of the uncircumcised at the hands of foreigners." You are puffed up in your pride, O king, but you are going down. The king of Tyre, you see, he was beautiful in a beautiful city. But the king of Tyre made himself ugly because pride entered his heart and distorted everything and perverted and twisted and bent his perception and perspective and made him ugly 
and his future is ugly. In fact, Ezekiel goes on in his prophecy to liken him to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam who had everything in the garden. Adam who was perfect in beauty in God's paradise until his heart was overtaken by pride. 28 verse 11 which we had read for us. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you and they're listed out. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked amongst the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day I created you till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. Verse 17, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendour, so I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Because of your sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. You have come to a horrible end. You will be no more. Pride comes before the fall. Pride disfigures and we like Adam, we like the king of Tyre, we want power and glory and admiration. We want all of this over and above others, particularly over and above the God who created us. But we, exalting ourselves, are but creature. We are but human like anyone else. And our pride is an ugly joke. You think you are a God? But humility, when you understand your place in God's world, when you understand your true dignity and your true honour and your true beauty, and you use that in service of others and in service of God, when you face the truth of your place in God's world, humility is beautiful. Billy Graham passed away a bit over a week ago. He was an incredibly powerful man. I don't know that the media reports did that justice. The access he had to world leaders, not just presidents of the United States. The influence he had over Christians of all persuasions all over the globe was incredible. The number of people he spoke to, the way he has influenced all of us. What has always impressed me about Billy Graham, a number of things, but he made some mistakes and he apologised and said, I was wrong. He lived a simple life. He could have been a multi-million billionaire but he chose to live a simple life. He's being buried in a casket in a private ceremony that was made by prisoners. You read, when I read his autobiography, he wasn't boasting of his humility but you could just see he deliberately made choices. He never spent time with another woman if his wife wasn't around or if some other bloke wasn't around. 
lest he be accused or lest he fall. He had enough humility over his own passions to protect himself. Let me give you another example, perhaps from the contemporary world. Roger Federer is the, I think, the best tennis player I have ever seen in my living memory. And a, a photo of a Roger ten, Federer forehand when he's on the run is just a picture of balance and strength and I think beauty. The thing that everybody loves for Roger Federer all over the world, but what they love about him, I think, is the fact that he always praises his opponent. And he says, I played so well because they played so well and I beat them. And he's amazed by that, it would seem. And he's always respectful to the media and to others. Roger Federer comes across as a humble man and people love him. And I think the wonderful thing about tennis, men's tennis in the last 10 years is his biggest rival, Rafael Nadal, is a very good mate of his and Rafa's pretty humble too. And recent Australian men's tennis players, perhaps any recent Australian tennis player, it's hard to go Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. I don't find them attractive and it's got nothing to do with their facial appearance. Raph is pretty good looking, I think. <laughs> but what would I know? <laughs> Political leaders. The humble. I don't know. To get into politics, it's a complicated game. But really powerful people like Gandhi, who changed India and South Africa to a measure. Martin Luther King. Nelson Mandela. Abraham Lincoln. Real game changers. Not perfect, I know. But known for their humility in different areas. Uh, compared to the current President of the United States or the current President of Russia, who seem to be building careers on bombasticism and threat. Who do you want to follow? Who's attractive? Pride is ugly. You know, they talk about it even as tourism. You talk about the ugly American. We all know the ugly American tourist. What is it about the ugly American? Well, they come across as being proud, throwing their cultural weight around in all sorts of strange contexts as if we're king of the world. And the thing that has been disturbing me in my recent trips overseas in the last five years is I've seen too many ugly Australians. It's pride and it's ugly. And it breeds fear and mistrust, whereas humility opens up relationship, opens up trust and is incredibly attractive. Second illustration, we had this song, our children's talk this morning, two men go to the temple to pray. One is beautiful. He has all the trappings of success and power and honour. He's been to DJs and he has honour and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. Thank you that I'm not like those sinners. The other one, well, he's a, he's a drug dealer. He's a tax collector but he's profiting from the misery of others. That's been his life. My guess is his face is wizened because that sort of life impacts your physical appearance eventually. 
and he's hard. And yet he comes and says, have mercy on me, oh God, oh God, a sinner. He comes and empties himself in humility with his ugly face and his ugly clothes. Which one's more attractive? Pride is ugly. Humility, when you stand humbly before God, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. There's even a beauty with that that can transform the ugly despite outward appearances. But the greatest beauty of all is the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Our Lord and Saviour. He had all the majesty. He more than owned DJs. He owned Westfield. And he gave it all up to serve. And he came to our earth and took on our human appearance and lived a rough life with no fanfare. And he came to save. And you know, he had incredible power. And he poured it out for others. And he spent time with those tax collectors, those drug dealers, with the outcasts, with the sinners. And he welcomed children. And he raised up the lowly and the poor and those who fell down. And he had incredible strength and incredible assurance. And he spoke the truth and he lived the truth. But he never did it with arrogance. looking down at others. Rather, he did it with humility of serving others. And he gave himself to the point even of death on a cross for you and me. There is beauty in our Lord and Saviour. 2018 Grammy winning song of best contemporary Christian music. 2017 won two Dove Awards, that's the Christian Music Awards, for Song of the Year and Worship Song of the Year, has 123 million YouTube hits. It's a song from our friends down the road at Hillsong. I'm going to read it for you. Some of you will know the song because it's big. You were the Word at the beginning, one with God the Lord Most High, your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us, but Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great. Your love was greater. What can separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. It's a good song. It's a good song because it echoes the words of that hymn that I referred to a few weeks ago that we probably will refer to a lot from Philippians chapter 2 
your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be held on to or used for his own advantage but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. There is beauty There is truth. There is hope and love. Here is our greatest demonstration of humility. What a beautiful name. The name above all names. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And here is our pattern for glorious, lasting, growing, relational back yard beauty the man who was despised and rejected was the most backyard beautiful person there has ever been nothing in his appearance to bear attention to himself except for his intrinsic beauty so do you want to make yourself beautiful I know you do Perhaps you can get this humility at David Jones. Well, here is the thing you cannot put on humility like you put on a pair of pants or makeup. Those who try to put on humility, we have a name for that. We, we call it false humility, we call it false modesty. And it is really self righteousness when you put on humility and it's really at heart an expression of pride. Oh, look how humble I am. And it is dog ugly, this false humility. Feigned humility is yuck. Everyone hates it. So how can we put on humility? Well, the first step is to acknowledge that you are proud. That I am ugly. And I need to repent. And I need to get rid of that. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says, If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. Here you go. (coughs) The first step is to realise that one is proud. And a biggish step too. At least nothing can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. First step, admit that you're proud. Look in, confess and repent. And where do you repent to? Where do we turn to? Well, the second step is to consider Christ and to turn to him and want to abide in him and live in him. Put your faith in Jesus. Back to those verses, these verses that I'd like us all to learn by the time the year's up. From Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others 
in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God. Second step is repenting, is have an outward focus. Put others first. Put it simply, stop thinking about yourself. Stop looking in the mirror. That's the first step to beauty. The second step to beauty. First, I am ugly, stop looking in the mirror. Look at others. Be outward focused as Jesus was. Again, to quote C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Of course, I know I'm nobody, I'm nobody. That's not a humble person. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. See, such people, you stop looking at themselves and start looking for others with an outward focus. They're incredibly beautiful. They're unawares beautiful. Their insecurity, they're looking in the mirror saying, oh, it's all gone. And they need to protect themselves from everybody. Let someone call me ugly. It's all gone. They're not thinking about themselves. It's been replaced by self, this sort of self-assurance or self-pumping up has been replaced by self-forgetfulness. And so you feel very safe in their presence because they're not a threat they're for your interest, for your love. You can be yourself. And so your heart leaps when you get to spend time with such people. They've got all this backyard beauty. So they're coming around to my house. Because they listen. And they care. And they smile warmly. No reservation. And they laugh at your jokes. As they also laugh at their own jokes. And they're beautiful people, the humble, who are totally other person-centred. And what works for people works for churches. If a church is only interested in survival and only interested in maintaining their little bit of power, if a church is only interested in being glorious and growing and being bigger and flashier and better than others, it will become self-focused and selfish and just dog ugly at heart. That's why I'm excited about our vision, even though we've done two years with Lidcombe and back at square one, because it's a vision to say we want to bless others. We want to be outward focused. We don't want to build our own kingdom fundamentally. Pray that we might be such a church with backyard beauty, the self-forgetful,
The next time you are there in the morning looking in the mirror, getting ready for your day, <coughs> next time you're at DJ's and you're putting so much effort into how you look, I want you to remember where true beauty lies and I want you to ask yourself the question, how much time am I putting into the beauty that really matters? How much time am I spending with Jesus? How much time am I seeking his word and his nature? How much time am I trying to emulate his character? Because the more you do that, the more you will be transformed from one form of beauty to another and the more you will shine and the more people will be attracted to you and you know the crazy thing is the more successful you will be. The more people will trust you. So let's walk humbly with our God this year. Let us embrace humility because frankly pride is just ugly and humility, oh that's the beauty and the truth of God. Amen. We are by nature ugly and prideful people. So let us seek to consider Christ and put others first before ourselves so that we can display...